0: Okay, here we go, the new and better podcast. Here's the tease. The truth is, is that you have an unlimited supply. That that there is no scarcity. There's no scarcity of safety. There's no scarcity of health. There's no scarcity of financial provision. There's no scarcity of relational peace. That is the truth. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too good to be true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So, Check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the new and better podcast. I want to share a couple of thoughts and string them together and they might actually make some sense. We've got, some of you saw we've got our bird feeder out there and we've got a hummingbird feeder and we've actually been attracting some Some hummingbirds, and I'm just, the Lord has been speaking to me through watching the birds out there, out that window about a few things. Jesus taught lessons based on observing the birds, so I guess I'm in good company, but it's funny, when I mention hummingbirds, the first thing Mark said is, man, some of those males can really be, you know, really territorial, and... That's one of the things that that I noticed we've been watching you know when we've basically i've got an unlimited supply of of nectar there that I'm providing uh I'm providing this you know for all uh who can who who want to come all the hummingbirds in the world can come and we'll just keep supplying and yet there's this one who thinks he owns it he thinks he thinks it's he thinks he's the boss of it and he thinks it's his, and there's another one that every time that other one comes and tries to drink. He comes out of nowhere, I don't know, he's over here watching it, and he comes out of nowhere and tries to run this other one off, and I just remember thinking, you know what? First of all, that's not yours. That's mine. And second of all, there's plenty. There's plenty for you. There's plenty for him. There's plenty There's plenty for everyone to go around, but uh, it just occurred to me that, that that's so often kind of how we are about what God supplies to us, you know, he... he basically oh and there's there goes one right there little hummingbird he's you know so gracious to give us supplies and put things in, our, in in our our hands that we that we need but the so often we start to feel like it's ours and second of all it's so easy to come at it with a scarcity mentality mm-hmm. to to feel like that there isn't going to be you know if this is gone this all there is but the fact of the matter is is that there's you can you can see what's out there, but there's so much more available from the provider than you can see out there. Uh, scarcity. This visually, it may look like there's a scarcity of nectar out there, but there is no scarcity. I can I can keep buying it all day long. Uh, Amazon can have it here in an hour, and um, and so the scarcity that appears to be is an illusion. And often uh, we—it's so easy for us as believers to operate with that illusion of scarcity, that uh, you know that whatever we have in the bank is all there is, or whatever we our job is going to provide over the next twelve months is all you know—and that's a lie. That's an illusion, uh, because there's so much more you know behind that that God can and will and will provide. But once we buy into that, um, once we buy into that lie of scarcity uh, the illusion we think the illusion is real things emotionally begin to happen to us we start to have grab a, have a, a tighter grip on the things that God has entrusted to it and it's not just money or resources or wealth you know that we, we can buy into the lie that significance is scarce you know that if we don't have our you know our, our, our guys, us guys you know we, we derive our sense of identity often from what we do, from our job. And, you know, Greg's basically going to realize uh, and he's in the process of realizing that he's not what he did for a living. You know that his identity is something bigger than that, and his significance doesn't derive from you know whatever your corporate title is or whatever company you work for. That significance comes from being a child of God, with a plan. You know that God has has plans and purposes for in the earth. That's where significance comes from, Uh, and it's not scarce. And so, you know, if Mark gets blessed, or or, you know Wayne gets a promotion, and and uh, or is is put up in some place where people, uh, you know are admiring and praising Him, that significance isn't scarce. God has an abundant supply of it. Love isn't scarce. Any, anytime we're operating from a perception of scarcity, we're operating in, uh, we've bought into an illusion that causes us to begin to see things and make decisions and behave about things in a way that's false, that's wrong, uh, and negative, like my little bully uh, hummingbird uh, friend out there. So that's a lesson from the birds, number one. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's all right. Yeah, just like I'm. Well, I've been talking to them. Uh, and speaking of talking to the birds. I've been watching across the water here to the neighborhood over there. There's been a hawk that's basically, and I can hear it every time in the backyard, uh, but there's a hawk that roosts in. If you look back over that way at the top of the hill, there's the t- tallest tree at the top of the hill. There's a hawk that's been nesting in that tree over there, and I see him flying over around over there on the other side all the time. And I hear him all the time too. He's got this, you know, this particular species of hawk, it's got this. <sighs> you hear this, that's that's a hawk, and sometimes they'll have this kind of frantic thing they do, where it's a. Um, but uh, um, I see them over there, and there's another one that kind of circles around over there all the time. And these hawks are they primarily prey on birds. Uh, you know, it would be great if their primary uh, you know diet was mice. Uh, but it's not. It's uh, it's birds, songbirds, and other things like that. So um, I'm just watching them do their thing over there. Is like that's their territory over there. Well, this morning I walk out back and I hear it that call really, really loud. It's really close. I'm hearing this, <laughs> and uh, I thought, okay, where are you? And he was there's this live oak tree right here on the other side of this wall hangs over our wall, and he was up in there, he or she, uh, and he's just uh, talking and talking, but he's set up on my bird feeders, and that's what they'll do. They talk about, you know, if you start feeding birds, you are uh, eventually birds of prey, uh, either owls at night or um, hawks during the day will start to set up on those bird feeders because they know that they see a lot of traffic there. So... he was out there and I thought no no so I walked over to him and I began to talk I had to talk (laughs) I said okay look I don't everybody's got to make a living we all we all have to eat I don't don't begrudge you that I said look everybody's got to eat I know I understand I don't begrudge you that but this place is not for you this zone right here you don't belong here. You can stay over there and eat all you want, but over here, this is not for you. Tough limits. Right. You're going to have to go. And so I just stared at him and talked to him for a little bit, and he flew off and flew back over there, and he didn't, hasn't come back since. So. Um, the hawk was. <laughs> he's right, but it's you know it's about it's about dominion. It's about yeah. you know um, it's about. Cultivating and keeping a space, and it's there's a there's the actual physical act of cultivating and keeping that those things that God has put under our authority, you know. But you know there are dimensions to that as well. You know, everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, our 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 realm, our sphere of influence, is a place where basically we're in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, and so we're this royal priesthood, you know, operating in. Uh, and we we have the legal right to exercise dominion over this, the places that God has entrusted yeah. to us, which brings me to my primary topic. You know, I mentioned that I was going to be presenting that white paper, and what I'm taught, what I'll be talking about is how legally the the enemy was stripped of his l- any legal standing. The enemy was given at at the fall, whatever the implications of that were, and those implications were, I think, more significant than we know, that the basically fallen principalities and powers begin to establish themselves behind the order of this world. There are so many places where uh, the word uh, in, in the New Testament talks about this, the world and the things of the world. And it's talking about a system. And it's talking about a fallen, broken system but whatever the implications of the fall were, from a legal standpoint, they were rectified and restored to God's original plan and purpose with Jesus' victory. Mm-hmm. With, his, with his sacrifice, with his victory over death and his resurrection, and his ascension to the, the throne at the right hand of the Father, all authority in heaven and earth were given to him as the last Adam. All authority in heaven and on earth mm-hmm. were given to him, and all those who are in him and those of us who belong to him are in him. So basically all that all that authority now has basically been imputed to and imparted to the, those who are in in Christ. and now for two thousand years, the church has been walking out the implications of that. there's been this gradual progressive redemptive expression of uh, the implications of that legal restoration what that means is i think we just frequently give the enemy way more we give the enemy way more credit for power and ability than he than he has I sincerely believe that the enemy's primary power in this season is the power of deception, the power of the lie. Mm -hmm. And how he uses the power of the lie is to get us to, to use the power and authority we've been given against ourselves and against others you know it's 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 easy to have people talk about you know boy the you know the enemy's been doing this and the enemy's been doing that and you know he's ferocious and he's powerful and he's got all of this all of these tools and weapons in his arsenal and i really believe that his his primary work is in getting believers to use their god-given power and authority against themselves and against others. I, I came to, uh, my first exposure to this kind of thinking and this kind of understanding came for me as a, a guy in his young 20s, when I just happened to come across a book that my mom had. I was home from college for the weekend. She had this book laying around. I'm not sure exactly how she got her her hands on it. This is a brand new edition of this that old book called Destined for the Throne. Mm-hmm. By a guy named Paul Billheimer, Paul E. Bilheimer, who was born in 1890-something, died in 84 at, uh, at the age of 90-something. And this, the foreword's actually by Billy Graham and how they got Billy, you know, he, had, back at the time when he wrote it in the 70s, when he first wrote it in the late 70s. I don't even know how he got Billy Graham to write the foreword to this thing, but he did. And this thing absolutely rocked my world. It changed my paradigm completely about so many things. And I highly recommend it. B-I-L-L-H-E-I-M-E-R, Paul E. Bilheimer. And this thing is just full of just one mind-rocking, soul-jarring revelation after the other. And the one that hit me at the time when I was reading it was that ruling and reigning with Christ in life was preparation for eternity that basically you know we, we part of the reason we needed to learn to to operate by faith and and take dominion in this life is because God has stuff for us to do throughout the eons of eternity and and this is that's how things get done but there's so much more here i mean i i, I probably wouldn't endorse every single little everything that he says in here but probably 98.9% of it I would this book is criticized by some and has been and, and has been controversial to some in part because he talks about in one chapter he talks about Jesus having descended into hell and the reason people get hung up about that is because most people's conception of hell is a place of torment in the lake of fire lake of fiery where you get poked and tormented by you know devils with pitchforks but when Jesus talked about hell, he was, as we've seen in previous studies, he was talking about uh, the place of the dead, what the Old Testament calls Sheol. Uh, and when Jesus mentioned it um, in the Gospels, he used the term Hades, which was the Greek equivalent. If you're going to have a Greek equivalent of Sheol, the Old Testament concept of the place where the dead are. So people have, got, have, have basically given this book um a hard time because people have a hard time with the doctrine that Jesus suffered in hell. He you know, he talks about that a little bit here, but when when he's talking about it, he's talking about the fact that Jesus went to the place of the dead. Well, I, I don't think that's controversy at all. That's, you know, that 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 you know, Jesus wasn't hanging out in heaven in the 3 days that he was in the tomb. He was in the place of the dead, and there are other passages of scripture that actually uh, suggest that Jesus preached to the departed spirits that were in the, the place of the dead and that perhaps even he led part of his leading captivity captive involved basically bringing those who, the, the righteous dead, who he proclaimed the, the gospel to, into, uh, into heaven. All of that to say, I, I strongly recommend this book, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out uh, from it, along the lines that uh, that I want to share tonight, one of the other one of the other mind blowing revelations for me, and it's something we've talked about many times in our gatherings, is that this issue of how God has sovereignly chosen to partner with us to get His stuff done in the world. There are huge segments, probably the majority of the body of Christ, have this cartoon concept of God that basically says, because he is sovereign and he is, he gets, he always gets what he wants in every circumstance, in every scenario, in every place, in every time on planet earth. That if something's happening, it's because God is either causing it or has tacitly allowed it. And so that in a sense, anything that's happening, God is it's got God's thumbprint on it. I think you've been around this community long enough to know that i think that is a flawed simplistic cartoonish childish view of the sovereignty of god and that god because he framed the universe in a judicial judicial framework delegated authority to this planet to mankind the reason he had to spend 2000 years trying to get a messiah into the earth from uh, from abraham to jesus was because he's having to to because he's righteous, because he's pure, because he's holy, he's having to abide by the rules that he created when he founded the universe in in the first place. And that because he's bound by his own righteousness, and one of the things, one of the rules he put in place was free will for the people who he delegated this uh, authority over this planet to, God is not getting what he would prefer in every single scenario, in every single place and time on the planet. And... Furthermore, to get done what he wants to get done, he, is, he has self-limited himself to partner with us. He's, he's in the realm of the spirit, and we're in the realm of the natural. We, we've actually got one foot in both because we once we have a born-again spirit, we've got one foot in the realm of the spirit. But because we have natural bodies, we have a foot in the natural realm. And God has chosen to limit himself by his own righteousness to have to partner with born-again people to get his stuff done in the earth. Well, that's in here in night in the 1970s and I think 74 was the first time uh Billheimer ever presented uh, published this book for the very first time, 75. Nobody was telling teaching that. Nobody in the body of Christ was 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 presenting that that truth. But let me just read you just a passage of it here from the mystery of prayer. And he's talking about how prayer is partnering with God so that what God has decided he wants done, he finds a partner on this, with an earth suit on this planet to, get to carry it out, to give the command, to, to authorize it from our side of, uh, of the equation. So he says, God makes the decisions, his church carries them out. God's offer of his royal scepter to praying believers is a genuine offer it is an offer in good faith through the plan of prayer God is actually inviting Christians into full partnership with him not in making the divine decisions but in carrying out those decisions in the lives and activities of human beings God makes the decisions governing the affairs of earth independently and by his own will the responsibility and authority for the enforcement and management of those decisions he has put on the shoulders of his church. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And we explored and unpacked that verse at great length. Uh, in our series on the church. This promise is repeated to the church in general in Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Compare that, he says, to Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And look at John 20, 21 and 23. Again, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. God makes the church his representative. As part of the Easter Sunday school lesson for April 14th, 1968, Dr. Wilbur T. Dayton commented on John 20, 21 through 23. After the removal of his bodily presence from among them, his followers must be his representatives, must take his place. This is the Apostles' commission and ours. We are his proxies with power of attorney to do his bidding. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you means what it says. The Lord sends us out as his representatives with full authority to carry out his will and his agenda. As his officers, we are given the full power of the office of our chief, and we are authorized to act in his place. And then he goes on to unpack that a little further. There's another passage I want to read here. And in it, there's an entire chapter about just the implications of Christ's victory. The chapter is called Christ's dynamic victory. And he talks about Christ's victory over death and his ascension and victory uh, uh, on the cross. And then his seating on the throne, Christ's seat of honor and the church's place on his throne. When Christ took his royal seat in the heavens, he proved undoubtedly that Satan's defeat was complete, that he was absolutely finished. Hell was thrown into total bankruptcy. A supremely superior force stripped Satan of his weapons as well as his legal authority and power. Yet this was not all. When Jesus broke out of that dark prison and ascended to the heights, Ephesians four eight. All believers were raised up and seated together with him. But God brought us to life with Christ. And in union with Christ, he raised us up and enthroned us with him in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. Christians are identified with Christ in his death and resurrection. In the mind of God, every believer shares complete identification with Christ from the cross to the throne. According to God's word, we are crucified with him, buried with him, Raised with him, exalted with him, and seated on his throne with him. How can we possibly understand this? Well, let's look at the following. And then he goes on to explain that a little bit. Now, up ahead, more warm golden nuggets of insight. But first, page two. Hey, just a quick reminder here about a couple of places online where you can find... More resources from yours truly, David A. Holland. When you can, you're going to want to point your browser over to davidaholland.com. And there you'll find links to my latest and best resources created to help you live the sweet life, a life of rest and peace and supernatural impact. You'll also find a place to drop me your email address and get alerts about special events, free resources, and occasionally more of the same encouragement and help you get on this podcast. That's davidaholland.com. Now, back to the topic under review here. I hadn't read this book in 35 or 40 years until I picked it up and I had to start writing about it. And so I thought, well, I need to reread this thing. I hadn't, re-read, I hadn't read it since I was 19 years old. And all of a sudden I'm going, oh, that's where I got that. <laughs> Oh, and that's where that seed got planted. And that's where that seed got planted. Because almost everything I've been talking about over the last three years mm-hmm. is there. Uh, and all of those seeds were planted all that time ago. Much of what we attribute to the devil, I think, is simply unredeemed brokenness in creation and the choices of fallen people. God's respecting the choices of fallen people and the, and creation got warped and twisted in, in the fall and now we've, we're 2,000 years into the process of untwisting creation. And the very fact that this, this I think this is at the root of what Paul was meant in Romans when he said the very creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. that there's this longing in creation for the church to continue to be um, to emerge, Uh, And for the gospel to continue to do its work around the planet and in people and in cultures and in societies that will not only have have an effect on human hearts and human minds and the kind of lives that they experience because of the effects that it has on their cultures and their societies and their communities and their neighborhoods, but that it actually has an impact on creation itself. It's a work that's still very much in progress, and hurricanes still come and scrape everything in sight in places like the Bahamas and earthquakes happen and and people whose parents were in the Chernobyl radiation zone end up with genetic proclivity to having you know mouth cancer. Way crazy young age, and and Jesus is bigger than all of that. But part of what we're doing is unwarping creation, and it's it it is not a powerful devil that's doing all of this damage. So what the enemy comes to do is uh, we're the ones with the authority, and part of that authority is exercised through what we say, and what we say is rooted in how we think, and how we think is rooted in what we believe. So if, if the enemy can plant a lie, then, it, then we can begin to think something that's wrong. And when we begin to think something that's wrong, we start to say things that are wrong. And when we're saying things that were wrong, we're, we're basically utilizing the, vow, the power and authority that has been granted to us in a wrong way. So all of that leads me to, I just want to talk a little bit about fear and worry and anxiety just a little bit philippians 4 turn in your turn in your bibles to to philippians chapter 4. fear worry anxiety is at its root a failure in an area to accurately perceive the truth like if you if uh, fear anxiety or worry in any area is at its root a failure to perceive the truth for, the, for a believer. Because the truth is, is that even though there seems to be a limited amount of nectar for, for hummingbirds out here in this feeder, the reality is that there's an unlimited supply of nectar available. But you can start to get possessive of that and be fearful about it running out if you perceive, you wrongly perceive, that nectar is scarce that there's a finite amount of ne- nectar there. And that's true for everything for the believer in in life. If we are feeling fear or anxiety, if we're feeling unsafe, if we're feeling concerned about our our our, our needs being met for the future, if we're concerned about our health, whatever whatever that area of anxiety if we cons- whether it's relational, physical, monetary uh, Whatever, whatever it is, f- fear and anxiety is a, f- is, an, is a sign, it's a signal that in this particular area, about this particular thing, I'm not seeing the truth. Jesus said... When he was talking to his disciples and he was on the other side of the kingdom he was teaching them about the kingdom he was telling them that the kingdom was coming he'd been preaching you know to them that the good news that the kingdom was about to be manifested but in that context he was talking about worry about physical provision where you should what you shall eat what you should sleep what what you shall wear and what he told them in in matthew chapter 6 was Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The kingdom hadn't come yet, but when the kingdom came, they found it. Once once those people that he'd been talking to and everyone who, who has gotten born again since that day has come into the kingdom, they 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 were told to seek it because it hadn't been it hadn't manifested yet it hadn't come but to seek first the kingdom then once you've found the kingdom and the righteousness that accompanies entering the kingdom all these other things will be added to you you know we've kind of turned that verse into something that says well you know in every situation if you're experiencing lack you're probably not seeking the kingdom in that particular situation the reality is is that if you've been born again you have found the kingdom you're in it. Good. He who uh, he has transferred you from the kingdom of gar- darkness, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You found it. Check. Mm-hmm. And in finding it and in being born again, you've been made righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imparted and imputed to you. So you have not only f- sought and found the kingdom of God, you have also obtained the righteousness of Jesus. Check. Check with those two check marks checked, all these things have been added unto you. The truth is, is that you have an unlimited supply. That, that there is no scarcity. There's no scarcity of safety. There's no scarcity of health. There's no scarcity of financial provision. There's no scare, scarcity of relational peace. That is the truth and the only the only way fear or anxiety can come in is if we basically focus on something that the, the the we focus on the bird feeder the hummingbird feeder rather than and what seems to be there what our senses can perceive as opposed to the larger the larger truth uh, look where did i tell you to go Philippians. four. philippians 4 where I want you to go is Philippians 4, oh yeah, it is, sorry. floor 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, read verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What Paul does here, first of all, when he says, be anxious for nothing, but communicate your concerns to God. Make, if, if, if you have concerns, Communicate them to God, but do not let anxiety attach itself to you. And then what does he do? He talks to you about your focus. Immediately beside, saying with, with, with prayer and supplication, just talk, talk to God about what you're, what you're concerned about. Then he says, focus. Your focus should be not on, your, not on what you're concerned about. Your focus should be on the goodness of God. Let me, read, let me read the verses to you in the Passion Translation. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. So what Paul is saying here is when when you are tempted to be anxious or worried, change your focus, change your perspective onto the goodness of God and all of the things of God The good things of the spirit, of the of the realm of the spirit, the perfect example of this that uh, the gospels give us is Peter attempting to walk on the water, and you've heard this illustration many many times. Peter steps out by faith, and then all of a sudden he's he's walking on water while his focus is on Jesus, and then he diverts his focus to the wind and the waves, and when his focus moves from Jesus to the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. Then he returns his focus to jesus basically says you know help me and jesus rescues him so what is the lesson the lesson is do not focus on the need do not focus on uh do not let the enemy lie to you about uh, about scarcity and keep your focus on, on the goodness of god the abundance of god the graciousness of God, the power of, uh, of the covenant we have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and all of those things. When our focus is there, whatever, the, whatever we tend to be uh, anxious or worried about tends to dissolve because we replace the, a lie for the truth. All of us have areas of our life where it's very easy for us to operate in rest and trust and faith and confidence, and then there's this one area of our life where we where we don't, and so it's easy for us to be kind of be judgmental about people who are having battle in that one area. That it's not a battle for us. So there are people who uh, have. It's very very easy for them to trust God about their safety, and it's very very easy for them to trust God about their relationships. And so they, they never battled with worry. But then they but but money is there, is their Achilles heal uh and so in that area you know when so, when they talk about somebody else who's having fear of, of for their safety or for their health or fear of harm fear of danger or whatever um you know there's easier for them say you're being irrational mm-hmm. you know this does this makes no sense you're, be, you're being irrational uh, and yet when when it gets over to to their thing whatever wh- whatever that person's thing is then it's easy for us to say well this this is real that's irrational but this is this now this is real and so you know the 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 challenges for us is to, is to remain compassionate with each other because we all we all have our thing and at the same time where whatever that thing is is begin to do exactly what paul told the philippians to do is to be anxious for nothing including this thing whatever this realm is that where we tend to operate in worry where we tend to operate in fear and begin to replace the lie let the holy spirit expose to you, expose the lie to you the holy spirit the holy spirit will say if you, if you allow him this is where you're misbelieving this is where you've adopted an untruth you've embraced a false presupposition and you're building these logical you're building logical seemingly rational cases about why you should be worried and why you should be anxious and why you should be in fear about these kind of things but at the bottom of that is a misbelief is is a lie of the enemy when we when we begin to replace the truth with a lie and you you do that by basically just diverting your focus back to king jesus and everything that he's said about us what the word says is true about us you begin to replace the lie for truth there's just something powerful about what we what we're saying mm-hmm. you know the, I, sometimes i view this powerless impotent enemy will with his lies, try to throw mud on you. And that's where we have to wash each other and wash ourselves with the water of the word. And in that area, you know, basically gently wash, wash yourself and wash others with the, with the water of the word. You know, I know that you're feeling like that fear is real, but here's what the word says. And now let's say it. Let's personalize it. let's whatever that realm is where worry or fear or anxiety, when the enemy is using our own power against us because he has no power of his own, often what he what he does is get our inner storyteller going. Mm-hmm. One of the things that God has equipped us with is an imagination. Mm-hmm. And an imagination our imaginations are God-given, powerful, things that help can frame reality things can move from the realm of our imagination into our words and frame reality but our imaginations are so powerful Mm -hmm. that basically the enemy will plant a lie that blooms into a deception and then your inner storyteller takes over Mm -hmm. your imagination and you begin to imagine steps ahead i mean have, have you ever had a little bit of a conflict with someone and then spent all your time having imaginary arguments with them in your head where you're refuting all of their arguments and putting them in their place and you think of everything that you should have said and you could say and that you will say next time, that's your God-given imagination basically being used against you. If whatever that, whatever that realm is in your life, that you, if you tend to be vulnerable to fear, worry, anxiety, in that particular realm, whatever it is, what you can do is you, your own inner storyteller will begin projecting into the future will take where you are right now and begin to project a narrative storyline into the future that, well, if this is happening now, then that's going to happen next. And then when that happens, then this is going to happen. And then the imp- implications and the results of that are going to be that. And you, your own God-given imagination and ability to, 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 to craft reality from imagination and spirit into, through words, into reality begins to be used against you. We all struggle with this. We all wrestle with it, but it's time for that to stop. It's time for us to walk in victory and dominion and authority. And what that looks like is very peaceful. It's very calm. It's very confident. It's very restful. Well, we've rounded third here and we're heading for home, but we're not quite there yet. First, page three. Just a reminder my devotional, Praying Grace for Women 55 Meditations and Declarations for Beloved Daughters of God, is out, and you need to run, not walk, your clicky finger over to your favorite online bookseller and grab it. Do it now. I'll wait. Oh, and. Uh, While you're at it, grab my newest devotional, Praying Grace for Men. I promise you, they'll deepen your understanding and experience of all Jesus accomplished for you through his sacrifice. Well, that's it for this outing. Join me here next time for the new and better podcast. I'm David Holland.